I'd always thought that the explosion in my mom and dad's house on January the 17th, 1987, only affected me. And if we only think our story only affects us, we can become pretty egocentric about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Camp GLP. It's an amazing opportunity to come hang out with me, with our awesome Good Life Project team, a lineup of inspiring teachers from art to life to work, and a community of almost impossibly friendly grown-up campers from literally all over the world as we take over a beautiful summer camp for three and a half days of workshops and activities that fill your noggin with ideas and strategies for life and create the type of friendships and stories you thought you'd pretty much left behind decades ago. It's all happening at the end of August, just about 90 minutes from New York City, and more than half the spots are already gone. So be sure to grab your spot quickly because our $200 early bird discount ends on April 30th, 2016. You can learn more at goodlifeproject.com slash camp, or just go ahead and click the link in the show notes. On to our show. Today's guest is John O'Leary. When he was nine years old, he ended up with 100% of his body burned in a fire in his garage. That left him with fingers that were amputated and a body that was largely from the neck down scar tissue. His journey from that moment in his life through his recovery, through his entire family's recovery, re-embracing and re-emerging, finding love and building an astonishing life that's making a difference in a lot of other people's lives is where we're going today's conversation. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important 
So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. So we're hanging out, sitting here right now. You are um, just in, just off the plane. Two days ago, I had no idea you existed, and then I jumped online, and I'm like, wow, how could I not know this human being existing on the planet? <laughs> so take me into your story, because as we're sitting here right now, we're behind microphones, people are listening. And it's interesting for me also. So what I can see is that you've been through a lot in your life, and right. that there are scars on your body. Um, so take me into sort of like the journey that you've been through because it seems like you're doing stunning work. Mm. And the, the one thing that I, that, that maybe I'll start out with is that I, I read the beginning of your, uh, new book. You share how somebody asked you about the journey and would you redo it? Yeah. And your answer was yes. It's kind of a staggering answer. So take me into that journey a little bit. Take me back. So I'm, I'm first of all, delighted to be with you. And the journey to understand, I think, my story, you got to also understand that I hid from it for a very, very, very long time. When I was nine years old, I was burned on 100% of my body and given absolutely no chance to survive. And we can come back to that. But through all kinds of amazing things, remarkable people, things colliding perfectly right on time, I survived and went home and then never again talked about it. So I, I come home from the hospital in a wheelchair without fingers with scars from my neck to my toes, Jonathan. And about a year later, they push me back into a grade school classroom. And then I start walking around. Then I learn how to ride again. And I go back to being a normal little kid. But throughout it all, the desire of my life was to be ordinary, mm. not to be great, not to be exceptional, just to be very ordinary. That was the great goal of my life, which remained my goal through middle school and high school when you're not good at sports. And you're not that great at art or anything else. Ordinary in high school means you start drinking. So I fell into that crowd for a while, stayed with that crowd through college, graduate somehow. And uh, even on graduation, I think the whole time I was trying to prove to the world that I was ordinary. So if you can think of the job that might be the hardest job for a guy that cannot sweat on most of his body and has no fingers to take on, carpentry might be at the top of the list. So that that's what this guy takes on. I do that for... 13 years. And I think as I'm climbing that ladder and sheeting roofs and hanging drywall, the, the scream really was, look how ordinary I am. I'm an ordinary guy. And by, by ordinary, do you mean like not standing out? Not or? standing out. Very unexceptional. Yeah. Just like everybody else. Gray suits and everything else. That's what I wanted to be badly. I did not want to be identified as a burn victim. Certainly did not want to be defined by scars or by what happened to me. I wanted instead badly to be defined by who I was today without any of the context of the background, but that can't be our stories. We are made up of who we've been in the past. You can't, you can't hide from that long-term. And the, chain, the, the turning point for me, Jonathan, was when my mom and dad, about nine years ago, wrote a book about our experience. And it's their experience of their little boy, age nine, being burned on 100% of his body. It was their story. But it was my picture on the front of it. Mm. And it was really my story. It was a, an author, unauthorized biography of my life. And it, it just changed me. I, I didn't think they would, would actually write it. I did not think they would actually publish it, but they did both. And it was a beautiful little book. I read it in one sitting. 
And it quite literally transformed the way I felt about my hands and my scars, my body, the reflection in the mirror, and then what I did afterwards, both relationally with those around me, but also professionally. So uh, how did it how did it transform that? Reading the book? Yeah. So can you, we've all been through fires in life. I mean, that's not, that's not reserved for people who have been burned in a house fire. We've been through divorces and bankruptcies, lost kids, lost dreams. We've, we've struggled financially, relationally. We've all been burned. And I think most of us, or at least for me, I looked back at that and realized all the bad things that came out of the fire. I was reminded of it physically in the mirror every morning. I looked at the ability to no longer hold things like most normal human beings hold things and the inability to hold a little girl's hand like most little boys hold girls' hands. And so I always viewed it as being a big negative part of my life. And then I read their book and two big things came out of it. One is I realized it was not so bad. It was not the end of the story. It was actually the beginning of it. It it transformed my character. I think it strengthens my faith. It led to my network on who I knew and who I loved growing up. It led to where I went to high school and college, which led to a chance encounter with a brunette who I married, who I would have never met had I not been burned because I would have never gone to that university, who led to four little kids. All these amazing things came out of the fire, and it took my mom and dad's book to really realize it. So that's part of it. And the second big piece for me was then realizing that I was not the only one that got burned. I'd always thought that the explosion in my mom and dad's house on January the 17th, 1987, only affected me. And if we only think our story only affects us, we can become pretty egocentric about it. But then I read their book and I realized how badly, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, my brother and my four sisters got burned. That they lost their mom and dad for all intents and purposes for five months while I was in hospital. That my mom and dad every night were walking the halls mourning the coming death of their son. And I never imagined the pain that I put my mom and dad through. And so to have that context and to have that compassion for them, it just changed the way I felt about me, the story, them, their grief, their joy, and how we work through this thing together as a family. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, do you ever think to yourself, like, so part of it, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, there's so many things I'm thinking, um, but were you moving to a point where you think you would have come to this realization right around then also? Or like, like, do you ever think like if I, if they had never written this book, right? would I have ever, would that switch have been flipped or would I still be sort of like living in a very different way and looking at the world in a very different way? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you ever even go there? Yeah, I do. I, I'm not sure how helpful it is. Yeah, I, I know. It's probably not. Um, I'm, but, I'm, but I think we all do, don't yeah. we? If I made a left instead of a right-hand turn, gosh, right. would things have been different? And the answer is, of course. So now what? Right. I mean, I guess you could take it all the way back to yeah. know, the original incident when you were, I guess it was nine, right? Yeah, nine years old. Right. And I, I do take it there occasionally. I don't think, though, Jonathan, today that if they had not written that book, that you and I would be talking to each other. Hmm. And I do not think today, had they not done that, that I would be able to embrace the scars fully in the mirror which you got to be able to do first before you can embrace it with those around you. Yeah. You know, we, we can't fix the external until we get the internal right. So I, 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 I give great thanks to my mom and dad for writing their book and changing my world. Yeah. Was that their intention or what, did they have no. a different purpose? Why, so like, here's, why did they do it? It's a great question. So I got married. You know, your, your listeners right now don't see me, but I, I have a very ordinary looking face. But then below the face, I am burned terribly. So it was a 100% burn, 87% was third degree. Mm. 
which means terribly scarred. Your skin's never again going to grow back. So from my neck to my toes, I'm a, a walking scar these days, and I'm missing my fingers on both hands. So my mom and dad always struggled with that, like I did as well. But one of their struggles was, will our little guy ever find love? Will he ever find a girl mm. who can see past the brokenness and love him for who he actually is, the little boy that we know, the little boy that we love? And then they were sitting in a church with their son, John O'Leary, on the altar in a tuxedo that was a little too tight and a little too hot. I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm nervous. And I'm standing up there with my friends and family and all these colleagues in the church. And then this gorgeous girl, Elizabeth Grace, brown hair, brown eyes, stunning. I mean, she's gorgeous. Walks down the aisle, kisses her dad goodbye, takes my hand, what's left of it. We walk to the rest of the altar, have a service, kiss, exchange vows, kiss again, walk out. And they're sitting there watching this all. And then they realize, oh my gosh, it has a happy ending. We've always been wondering how this thing ends. And now today we see it. And so they went home that night and they started writing this little thing up basically to say thank you to the community. Mm. It was never intended to be a podcast deal or to be an Oprah special. It was done for the community. They printed 200 copies of Overwhelming Odds. I said, just self-published it. Also. Oh, yeah. yeah. 200 copies. They've sold 75,000 subsequently. So mm. for a, an author of any scale these days, that's a big number that's to huge. get to. Yeah. And they did that out of their garage. So it's a, it's a worthy book. It changed the way they viewed life. It certainly changed the way I viewed my life. Yeah. What was going on? You know, we've we've talked a little bit about you, and we'll talk a lot more and about them. You you also you came from you come from a large family mm-hmm. with uh, brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm imagining that you've had conversations over the years about how sort of like moving through this journey affected them. Yeah, well, t- take me there a little bit. And that's always been a little painful too, because again, we always think that what happens to us happens to us. Yeah, and I think that's selfish. The ripple effect of our lives always goes way beyond who we are. It touches everybody that we interact with every day. And the only decision we get to make is whether it should be positive or negative, right? I mean, every time we touch someone by looking at them, by speaking to them, by interacting with them, we are going to have a ripple effect in their life. And so for me, looking back on it, one of the remorses I still feel is that they lost their mom and dad. They lost a portion of their childhood for a half year. That's, That's intense. They lost their home, the house that we had safety around, this little home in the Midwest and two dogs in the backyard and all this stuff that you kind of grow up with. They lost that for four months. And I know that I'm the cause of that. The morning I was burned, not only did they lose all the thing, all that stuff, Jonathan, they also were there to witness what happened. So maybe it's mm. important to kind of take you back yeah. to that major inflection point, which uh, started about a week before. You know, most most of the things we do start before the time that we do them. So about a week before I was burned, I saw some little kids in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. And like any little monkey, I figured if they could do it, well, so can I. So that weekend, my mom and dad were gone. The house was mine. Everybody else was sleeping. My siblings, I went into the garage. I lit a piece of cardboard on fire, bent down next to a five-gallon container, tried to pour a little bit just a tiny bit. Gasoline. Gasoline on top of the flame. And, you know, before the fluid even came out, the fumes, it's always the invisible stuff that burns us in life. We get rift on that for a while. It's not the liquid, it's the fumes. It came out, grabbed the flame, pulled it back in, created a massive explosion, split the can in two, picked me up. 
launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage, trapped me in this room. I'm burning. The garage is burning. There's only one way out, but back through the flames. So I ran on fire back into my mom and dad's house eventually through the front hall into the family room and then back into the front hall on fire the entire time. Then I stand on top of a rug, just screaming and burning, begging and praying for a hero. You know, I'll take anybody. And I see my 17-year-old brother, Jim, who was sleeping in the basement. He comes racing toward me. He picks up a rug, beats down the flames. It takes him two minutes, burns his, his hands and arms in the process, wraps me in the blanket eventually, carries me outside and, and saves my life. He becomes my hero. And while this is going on, this fight for life and death, the entire time, my sisters are all in the staircase watching. And so I, I, I know today that they saw something horrible. They saw something tragic. They saw their little brother aflame. And it's something they got to live with. It's something that I think in life, it either pushes you farther apart and it makes your heart go cold. Or, and I feel blessed in this regard, it pulls your family together. It molds you as one. It unites you. And it leads to even greater compassion and understanding in our in our family, Jonathan. We, we, we're not a perfect family. None of us are. But we love each other. We uh, are grateful for one another. And I think we credit the fire as being the inflection point that brought us together as a unit. How long did it take for you to come to this? Because I mean, was this so? You're sit as you're you're sitting in front of me and sharing all of this, right? I mean, you guys listening can't see this, but there's a big smile sweeping your face right. that hasn't left you since the moment you walked in the door. And as you're telling the story, which like listening to this now is horrific, mm. you're still there's like this radiant sense of joy that's right. coming from you, and you're telling it not from a place of re-experiencing the pain, but from a place of having moved through it, it mm-hmm. almost feels like, and like you said, you know, like there's, everyone goes through some kind of fire. You yeah. know, obviously like yours was physical and extreme and affected you, you know, in, in a very profound way. Um, and we hope that somehow we can, yeah, that becomes, it may be the fire that burns in the beginning that eventually becomes the fire that steals or the fire that forges. Yes. But the process, you know, so for you and for those around you, like what you just described, I, can, mm-hmm. I mean, can't imagine what you went through, but then also to have like your, your brothers and sisters just like watching the yes. whole thing and how that brought you immediately together as a family. I'm flabbergasted. I am too. And, <laughs> you know, what brought it together for me, because we did not talk about it. You asked the question that led to this long rant. Yeah. Well, gosh, what did it do for your family? And candidly we never really talked about it really and then lately we've been talking more and more and more and more about it i remember after my brother jim carried me outside he threw me on the ground he ran back inside to call 911 and uh i'm outside it's starting to snow it's january i'm nine i'm freaking naked it's a mess my life has fallen apart we've all been there it doesn't need to be as dramatic as this but we've all been there And my 11-year-old sister, her name's Amy. She's awesome. She comes outside. She's barefoot. She's wearing a little blue nightgown. This gets me emotional. But she walks over to me. She puts her arms around me, and she just pulls me close. And this 11-year-old girl says to me, John, everything's okay. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be okay. You got to have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. At 11. At 11. And she sees my dad in the emergency room that night, and she says to him, Daddy, he felt so hot to me that I was sure I was burning my arms through my nightgown. And then she says, but I never let go, Daddy. I never let go. And 
that's just the kind of resilience I think we had growing up. I had a great mom and dad. I want to talk more about them in a little bit. We had a strong faith as a family. I think that was critical. But there was an awful lot of love in our family. And love doesn't always show up with butterflies and rainbows. I mean, love is sometimes punches and anger. But, but we did love each other. And on that day, when it mattered most, we showed it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in 
one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. Mm. Kind of circled back to your, your folks a couple times now also. Because the other thing is something like this can also very often, especially when something happens with a child that's so painful, mm. um, it very often becomes a defining moment, you know, in the relationship between the parents. And a lot of times, I mean, I know I've seen the statistics on parents whose kids are diagnosed with certain disorders or physical mm. or mental challenges. And the statistics are, are not good right. in terms of, it driving yes. parents together versus driving them apart. It seems like this really, it drove your parents together or were they just, did they start that way? And like, what's, take me into that. Right. So, you know, you'd have to have them in the studio to yeah, really yeah. get to the bottom of their marriage. Although I, I'll tell you this, I think most people in partnerships and marriages confuse being together with being truly together. Just because you're wearing the ring doesn't mean you're on fire for one another. And I think when we say I do, whether that's in a partnership service or a marriage in front of you know a creator, eventually in time, if we're not careful, it turns into I have to. You know? The, the honeymoon's awesome, man. Hawaii rocked. We had a lot of great time in the hotel room. Dude, it was great. But then you get back and there's some bills. And then there's some struggles. And then there's some tension. And then you got to decide daily, do you still... Do you still, are you still able to boldly proclaim each morning? I do. I still do. I still do. And my mom and dad, they still did. And when the fire came, they could never have been prepared for something that tragic, but they still did. And so they were more ready, I think, than many other couples that were together because uh, it was convenient or because they said I did a long time ago. They made a commitment daily to one another. And I think for them, when the fire showed up, they were ready for it. Mm. I guess that's also part of what fueled their greatest upset and greatest concern about you you finding the same thing that they had been able to cultivate and find, which was so rare even in a day for people who hadn't been through what you'd been through. Right. Tell me about your wife. Her name is Elizabeth Grace. She's awesome. We met in college. Senior year, she's a sophomore. So I'm the big man on campus. I'm obviously very good looking, very athletic, as you can, I'm sure I'll see right now. And uh, I fell in love with her right away. So it only took me about a year of stalking her before I asked her out. Uh, I remember verbatim what she said back. She looks at me. We're dear friends at this point. She looks at me and she says, John, you are like a brother to me. Which I don't know what it's you've like heard about kiss, Missouri, but I think like, that was a no. It's like the kiss of death for yes, Roman. <laughs> so my response was, but I already have four sisters. I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't need a fifth. But that's what she, that's what she gave me then, and and then uh, I stayed her brother for another year. I asked her out another time, and again her answer was the same: "You're like a brother," which was crushing. You know, looking back on it, it's funny because I, I got my bride waiting for me back in St. Louis. We have four children together. I have a great, wonderful marriage, a great life. But as a 22 year old, I never really dated anybody, which was a struggle. I kind of had some sense of maybe why I wasn't dating people, which was a struggle. And yet I, I found, Jonathan, that when I finally surrendered to kind of her will, like not trying to get sex out of it, not trying to get marriage out of it, not trying to have arm candy out of it, not trying to get something for me. But when finally I was just able to love her for her and let get of go of all of her, uh, all other expectations, what happened next was awesome. 
I stopped trying. <laughs> I started being. I was probably more genuine and more authentic, which I think led to a dinner about a year after I asked her out. When she asked me out, she said, John, every time I'm with you, I get butterflies in my stomach. I wish they would float away, but I, I think I'm falling for you. Will you date me? And, uh, you know, I, of course, responded, I don't date sisters. <laughs> no, that that is not what I said. I, I spilled the, the, the glass of wine in front of me and I, I said yes. And we've been saying yes ever since. We've been together 15 years now. We have four children together. The oldest is 10. Uh, our life's not perfect. I would imagine none of your listeners have perfect marriages, perfect work life, perfect anything in life. But we we choose, like you would encourage us to view it all with a grateful heart, uh, to work harder, to make it better. And we ha we have a wonderful life together. Nah. Before you met her, or even when you were sort of like chasing her, courting her, um, <laughs> yeah. just being friends, like a brother to her. Right. Um, what What was the internal dialogue with you in terms of yeah, like, so we know that your parents' biggest concern was like, will they ever find love? And like, if you're sort of moving through life, and obviously, like, you're an awesome guy. You've got a great personality. You're smart, um, but you know that that. And and if I'm being too direct, I'm just I'm genuinely curious. Like, you know, as you shared, you know, looking at you right now, um, your face looks like pretty much everyone mm -hmm. else. But when you unbutton the shirt, mm -hmm. like everything from there down is very different. Yeah. Um, what was the inner dialogue with you if you're open to sort of to going there Absolutely. in terms of like what might happen um, and and how that either how how you danced with that or um, or how it led you to, to either move forward or withdraw when you were sort of exploring finding that person? Yeah. So I think most I'll say it this way. Uh, everybody's got a story. It's just not the story we're telling the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? everybody's got a story. And so the, the story I was telling the world back then was I'm fine and uh, I'll have another beer, please. And I'll, I'll achieve some success over here. And I'll say some really funny things over here and I'll do some pretty bold things, audacious things, take the black double diamonds over here. And I was a risk taker and I don't even know if I knew it back then, but it was all to cover up and to pretend like I was ordinary. We, we've talked about this already. So I, I was just hoping that she would see me as being the ordinary, normal, risk-taking, beer-drinking, funny guy that I was pretending to be. And I am to an extent. But I think when you can open up your shirt and unbutton in that part of your body and really show your scars and, and realize that the scars are there because the wounds have healed. You got nothing to hide from, man. It's actually a pretty cool badge of honor. When you're that bold in the mirror and then with others, it's actually extraordinarily attractive. And not just the physical scars, because some of us have those, most of us don't. But everybody's got the emotional scars. And I think the more we can embrace them and learn from them and be better because of them, the more attractive we are. And I don't mean sexually, but people want to be with people who know who they are and love who they are. And that's eventually what happened with Beth. That's eventually what won her over. Was that more um, you coming to that independently or sort of her validating that by you being vulnerable? Yeah, I think it's a, a blend. Yeah. I think it takes two on the dance floor. And, and uh, she also, she majored as an occupational therapist. Mm. So she's the kind of gal who is able to walk into a room with kids with special needs. And instead of seeing the drool or the wheelchair, see the person. Mm. And that's special. So she self-selected into that at age 18. And I was lucky enough that she selected a boyfriend like that at age 21 mm -hmm. and then selected a spouse like that at age 24. Yeah. 
from there, when you when you got out of school, what, what did you actually study for? Finance and IT. And was that your intended uh, career? Yeah. But again, freshman year, I was in a fraternity. Yeah. Loved my fraternity life, still do. Uh, great time. But all my buddies were IT majors, and they were stepping out of college in the late 90s, making $52,000, man, with corporate credit cards and Monday through Thursday travel. It sounded just glorious, beautiful. And then I found myself on a Christmas Eve with an IT experience and a financial background working as a senior in college. And all I really wanted to do was to be home with my mom and dad and my five siblings. And it's snowing outside. And I know they're they're having a beer. They're making great food and they're eating cookies and they're enjoying fellowship. And I'm working. It's kind of like your journey. I realized I did not want to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. I had to figure out a different way forward, even if I had no idea then how to do it, which is why when the calendar year flipped, I uh, I bought an old place in an older part of St. Louis, Missouri. I rehabbed it, having no clue what I was doing. And piece by piece brought this building back to shape, was able to sell it, make just enough to do it again and again and again. And that was my line of work for about 11 years. Hmm. The whole while still trying to fit in. The whole while, while still trying to fit in. And, or, or not stand out more appropriately. And just enjoy life. Yeah. But not not suck it for the full marrow of it all. I just kind of was glancing through superficially. Right. Which, you know, at that point makes you not all that different than the average person when they get out of school a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Living in your parents' basement, man. Uh, it's interesting. It's like, you know, there's there are the wounds that we all have. Um, and, and again, it feels really bizarre to me to sort of, and I know you make the comparison when you speak and when you write, like we've all got our fires and right. we've walked through and we've all been burned in some way, shape or form. But it feels, honestly, it feels weird for me to sit here and sort of, for me to throw that out on the table right. because I look at what you've been through compared to, yeah. and, and this is an interesting conversation maybe, right? It's sort of like, it. the the question in my head is like, you know, I you tend towards, well, you know, sure, he says we've all been burned, we've all walked through the fire, but come on, like, look, not not a real fire. You know, you so, know, so like my pain can't be like, and you start to get into this like comparing like relative pain game. I so I'm, your listeners may not know exactly what I do professionally, but I, I'm a professional speaker these days, yeah. which means I hold a microphone, but I, I don't consider myself a speaker. I'm a very ordinary, authentic guy who gets to share a story in the entire time holding up a mirror saying, people, it's actually about you today. Pay attention, pay attention, wake up, quit living life accidentally. Let's choose how we take the next step forward. And that's what I get to do. And then afterwards, I, I drop the mic, walk off stage, and I get to meet people one-to-one, which is actually what I love most. I like the one-to-one fellowship. That's yeah. where the good stuff happens. And every time there's a, a line that forms and people say, hey, I've got a story. Now, it's nothing like yours. They always say that. And I always say, of course, it's nothing like mine. And mine's nothing like yours. Let's quit trying to roll up the sleeves and trade scar stories. But I'm convinced at this point in my life, the physical is significantly easier to overcome than the emotional, hmm. significantly. And everybody has that emotional wound of not being invited to the prom senior year in high school and it broke them and it still breaks them or not getting the dream job or the dream guy or the dream gal or struggling financially today. These are real wounds. And I would never be dismissive on a struggle that someone else is going through. My, my encouragement is to remind your listeners and the listeners in my audience that it's not the end, that 
any hero's story has some strife in the middle of it. If it doesn't, it's a pretty lame story. If it's all good, it looks like Hollywood and it ends up in drug addiction. I mean, you need to have some valleys. Prove your mettle. Prove that you can't do it by yourself. You need a network. You need the family. That's what we got in this room. And then do life better going forward. And so I, I think we all got the story. We all got the scars and we can all do better because of it. Hmm. The whole idea of you have to have the valleys. It's, uh, you know, it's Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right? Yeah, the monomyth yes. is the one giant series of like one huge valley with a whole bunch of smaller ones along yes. the way. And it's like he said, you know, nobody reads the story of the person who just asks for what they want and they get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not interesting. And yet so many of us seek to live that life because we feel like that's, um, is it that it's e- the easiest life? Is it you know, like we're like we do everything possible to try and avoid the challenges? Yeah, which often become the defining moments. Absolutely. What's that about? <laughs> so I think it's human nature. Number one, yeah. no one likes being stretched or being brought through pain. Right. That's pretty ordinary. But if if you just a physical example is when you work out. And again, your listeners, I work out a lot. That's why I weigh 100 pounds and I'm uh, six (laughs) foot tall. But for those who do work out, the first time you do some sit-ups or push-ups or bench pressing, it's very hard. It's very painful and you're sore the next day. But if you return and do it again and again and again, your muscles begin to grow and you begin to feel better about the process. And I think the same is true with physical adversity, with emotional adversity, with spiritual adversity. The more we stretch these muscles, the more significant our lives become afterwards. And knowing that, what it frees me to do is to realize missing flights is not the end of it. Having a struggle financially is not the end of it. Being shot down by 20 publicists when we're trying to launch a big project is not the end of it. That we're actually becoming better and stronger and refined through this process. And if you can have that mindset going through the valleys, uh, I think it allows the journey through that dark period to be even more enjoyable. And then when you get to the top on the other side, because you always get to the other side, you're able to enjoy it even more once you're there. It keeps you humble and hungry. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so, so here's my question. To have that mindset, to have that lens, and to be able to reframe all these challenges as, eh, bump along the way. Like, what yes. can I learn from it? Let me harness the energy from it. Let me move on. That, you know, to what extent, and I don't know if it's even an answerable question, but it's a question that's going through my head because I've, I've had the amazing opportunity to sit down with, with uh, many people now who've been through major trauma in their mm-hmm. lives. And and a number of them have been able to, that has profoundly changed the way they look at the world. It's, it's given them the gift of being able to reframe all these other things that come their way afterwards as right. with, with so much more grace and ease. But you, you don't want to wish that everybody out there must first go through right. this thing in order to have that lens. So I'm curious because you've traveled so you I mean, you've talked to so many people. What's your experience around the ability to cultivate that without going through the major traumatic incident? We have to at least set up stumbling blocks to trip over in life. Now, that can be exercise routines where we're waking up at five. It can be spiritual journeys where we're in scripture, you're, you're meditating, you're praying. But we got to be setting ourselves up to really stretch ourselves because the real pain is coming. I mean, no one gets through this thing alive. And I found that some of the most successful people purposefully put challenges in front of them, whether it's wildly difficult goals, uh, the, the tough mudas. I mean, what, what, what's that really all about? It's proving to themselves and others they can do something really difficult. Mission trips. What's that all about? Send some money. Send some money and pay a couple guys a dollar a day to do your, the work even better than you can do it. So why go? I think it's to realize, wow, we are on a difficult journey and we're doing something that matters. And this makes us aware when we get back on the other side, how blessed we are. And so I I would encourage your listeners who have not been through a struggle to put up some boundaries, put up some challenges, do something difficult to stretch those muscles because the difficulty is coming and this will prepare them. It's going to make the soil ready when it does arrive. Yeah, Matt, if only it were that easy though, because nobody wants to believe the difficulty is coming. Right. So I have some bad news for your listeners and they want to turn it (laughs) off. If anyone's still listening, you may want to turn it off now. Uh, No one gets out of this thing alive. You're right. I mean, Everything we have today eventually will be taken away from us. Our spouse, our children, our life, our breath, our wealth, it's all leaving. And once you go into the world and leave your front door with that mindset, it kind of opens you up to then either be bitter about it all and say, gosh, we're wasting our time, or to be grateful for the experience of everything, Mm. everything. And 
I, when I speak a lot in like a leadership setting, I'll, I'll walk people through the four questions that victims love to ask. And so these are the victims questions. Mm. Victims, people who have a lousy mindset, they love to ask the question, why me? That's the victim's number one question. And then they cross their arms because they realize they got a lousy life and they say, well, who cares? Right? I mean, who cares? The, the great question of indifference. And then the question is, well, what's next? I mean, it is one thing after another, what is next? And then the final question is, well, gosh, what more can I do? I'm just one. New York's a big place. Country's a big country. The world is a big world. What more can I do? I'm just one. Conversely, and these are the questions I, I try to ask every day. I know you ask because I see it all over the way you live and lead and, and serve. And it's the question I'm encouraging your listeners to pick up. But the, the, these are the victor's questions, the ones that allow us to live in awesome mindset all day long, a mindset of life and possibility. Their first question that they greet the rising sun with is, why me? Why am I so lucky? Why am I so blessed? Why am I so fortunate? Why am I here? Which allows them to get out of bed and say, who cares if it's hard, if it's challenging, if TSA is strip searching me again, who really freaking cares? We're fortunate. I'm on mission. The next question is what's next? Seriously, what's next? What can I do to make my life and those around me even bigger than it was today? And then finally, and I'm hoping that most of your listeners and you, Jonathan, know where it's going, but what more can I do to ensure not hope. I think we kind of trade in, in a hope environment these days, but hope is not a strategy. So what more can I do to ensure tomorrow is even better than today? And I think when you go through life asking those same four questions as a victor over it on the front side, before you even get out of bed, it equips you to walk through your day more boldly, more sustainably, more energetically, changes the way you feel about yourself. And it's going to change the way others feel about you too. Yeah, same four questions. Same four questions. It's just how you, whether you view it as positive or, or or negative, like a gateway to possibility right. or a gateway to defeat. Always. It's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, it's about intention fundamentally underneath it. It's like everything. You've circled back and you've touched on a number of different ways with a number of different words, faith. Mm -hmm. Whether you talked about worship, you talked about mission. Is faith a significant part of your life and, and has it always been? So the answer is yes to all of that. Although I try not to wear my faith with the Bible in my hands, mm. uh, yelling downward, but to wear it so boldly. You said, John, you look like you're happy. I mean, you walked in and you've been smiling since you walked in. What's that freaking about? What drugs are you taking? Man, I'm mainlining life. And it's a choice I take and it's a faith that informs me. And I, for me in my life, I know what true north is. I have a strong faith in God. Uh, my background is Christian. It's a Christian faith that I grew up in. When I was burned, nine years old, I'm laying in my bed uh, in the emergency room, naked, skinless, and dying. And my mom walked in. She comes over to me. She takes my right hand. She pats my bald head. And she says, I love you. I love you. So I thought I was in the doghouse. I thought she was going to kill me. And then she says, I love you. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm not in trouble for blowing up the house. I'm in trouble because I'm probably going to die. So it, it was this it's a reality moment for me. So I look up at my mom and I said to her, Jonathan, mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And, uh, have you ever asked a question where you don't really want the honest answer? You know, we want hope. We love hope. We love that kind of stuff. Well, I, I wanted the milkshake promise. I thought she would say, baby, you're fine. We'll get you out of here today. We'll take you through steak and shake on the way home. There's a plug for them. We'll get you a vanilla or chocolate, your choice. 
And then instead, she leads forward with truth, which I think your listeners are longing for. I think we need in our families, in our country, in our global environment. She said to me, baby, look at me. Do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. And I looked up at my mom and I said to her, mama, I do not want to die. I want to live. And her response was good. Good. Then look at me. Take the hand of God, walk the journey with him, but you fight, baby, like you have never fought before. Your daddy and I will be with you every step along the way, but baby, you got to fight. You got to want this thing bad. And, and on that date, January 17th, Jonathan, 1987, we, we made a commitment as a family, a covenant to fight on having no clue what the next day in hospital or the following day or months would look like. All we knew on day one is the fight was on and we were going to do this thing as faithfully and as boldly and as courageously as we possibly could. And and that fight continues today. And it's one I, I have not yet won in my faith walk. I think it's already been won for me, but all I have to do is surrender to it and show up and celebrate the gift of each day. You mentioned that um, these days you are living, traveling around the world and speaking. So how did you bridge the gap? What was the process of you being carpenter or working on houses, working <laughs> yeah. on construction, to turning around and saying, I need to share my story. Yeah. And what what drove that? And what how did that process happen? Yeah. So nine years ago, my mom and dad wrote a book, Overwhelming Odds. There's a plug again. I read it. I loved it. It changed me. And that's where it was going to lay. And then about three months later, I'm at a, a job site. At this point, I have a crew that I'm working with. And so I'm in front of the pickup truck. The blueprints are in front of me. My phone rings. I have a tradition in life. If I don't know the number, I don't answer. But I made the mistake this I time. I ended up picking up the phone. I answered. Never do it, people. If you get nothing else out of this podcast, don't answer if you don't know who it is. Let them leave a voicemail. I answered. It was a Girl Scout mother. She had three Girl Scouts that met on Tuesday afternoon, and she was looking for a presenter. She just read the book, and she said, Mr. O'Leary, would you come and speak to my three Girl Scouts? Uh, I'm not a public speaker. I've never really told anybody how I was burned. But in, in life, even to this date, I have a very simple re response to any question of me. And the answer is yes. You know, yes. Can you do this? Can you do that? Yes, yes, we can do this. It's a, a great way to go through life. And so I said yes to those three Girl Scouts. I worked on my speech for 50 hours hmm. for three Girl Scouts. I This is not trying to be funny. I threw up in the parking lot on the walk in, put a stick of gum in. The mindset that I had was turn around, go back to the car. They don't even want to hear from you, man. But I made a commitment. So I walked in. I looked down at my notes. Never once looked up at the little monsters. Gave my talk, left the room, not even paid with as much as a Samoa box. Uh, and uh, that was my first talk. Then one of their dads was a Rotarian. Uh, six months later, I spoke at their club. Three months later, I got another opportunity each time to say yes. In the first two years of speaking, I said yes eight times for a grand total of one Starbucks $20 gift card. You know, that was the great payment. But I was not and am still not doing it for the money. What were you doing it for? Man, mission. I, I felt called to it. I still feel called to it. I think we live in a marketplace of such poverty. And I'm not talking about money. We live in such a fear-riddled world that is so desperate for hope and perspective and somebody to breathe life and possibility into our souls. And I feel like in a very small way and in a very real way, that's what we get to do through our story. 
to remind people that what they're going through today is not the end of it, to remind people today as they turn on the news, my encouragement is to turn it right back off because they, they lead with fear. If you watch the debates, you watch what's happening politically, you watch the, the, the stuff on the evening news, it's all bad. And yet, if you really shut your eyes or you walk across to a park, you realize, gosh, man, the reality is it's good. Pretty good. The world has never, the global, we have never been safer as a world. We've never been safer as a country. We've never been wealthier as a country. We've never had more opportunities. We've never been more connected. And we've never felt worse about ourselves. So I think one way to start feeling a little bit better about ourselves is to turn off that news and turn into a different channel, which is why so many people are tuning into you. So that for you... It was the opportunity to start to affect people in that way. Absolutely. One by one. I think we hope to elect change, right? I mean, we hope that it can come out there, that it can happen in D.C. or New York or Paris. Change, real change, typically happens in backwater towns. I mean, that, that's really where it starts taking root. It, it's, it's the groundswell. It's the troops in the field. It's little communities. It's families. It's individuals. It's one by one that we can impact dramatic change globally. And we see example after example of this. The power of one is real. It's alive and well. But my encouragement to those who hear my voice is not to wait for it, but to become it. Why wait? Start now. Start in your own home. Start at your own workplace. Start in your own church or synagogue or place of worship. Don't wait. So when you start sharing this message um, and making a $20 Starbucks card in your yes. first eight talks in two years. Crushing it, was. it. I was crushing it. You're a full-time speaker now. So what happens in your mind and in your life and, and where you start to say, this? no, this is it? Hmm. So uh, anytime you speak anything in front of a group of anybody larger than yourself, there's a chance that they're going to reject you. I felt that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anytime. Have, yeah. And it, it could be a group of two or a group of 10. And so that was always something that I dealt with. But there was a time where a gentleman came up to me. It was probably my sixth talk. And he said to me, you have no idea what I've been going through. And then he gave me example after example after example. And then he said, and you have no idea how much I needed this message today. It's right on time. And he gave me this hug, the kind of hug that you don't get from your family members or your dear friends. You, You get it in times of crisis and then overcoming that crisis. And he just held on to me for an awkward length of time. When he parted, there were tears in his eyes, and I've never seen that man again. But but that hug remains with me today, and it's one of the things that motivates me to do my absolute best. And in the interview, and everything I write, and everything I share, and every presentation I deliver, it's very real still, because I realize that guy's still in the audience, and that gal's still in the audience. And there's a chance that someone's going through something right now. Or there's a chance that someone knows someone who's going through something right now, and that we can become better versions of ourselves. So that, that man, it, it keeps me motivated. There, there's a quote from Viktor Frankl. You've heard this before, I'm sure. Frankl says, when you know your why, you can endure anyhow. Right. And this is the guy who endures the Holocaust. It makes enduring five months in the hospital and having a few fingers amputated pretty insignificant. Uh, he lost everything. And yet he endured. And he reminds us who still endure, when you know your why, you can endure anyhow. And I think that's really relevant to any struggle we're going through. Because if you're focused just on the struggle, you're going to lose that battle. But if you're focused on your mission, your calling, your purpose in life, it's it's just a speed bump. It's a short little valley. Keep on going. My sense is a challenge in focusing on the bigger purpose that allows you 
to sort of experience those other things as speed bumps. Yes. Is that we so rarely explore that. You know, what is that that thing that sparked that, you know, we give it all sorts of different names, your purpose, your... Yeah. What's interesting to me is I I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this where I've had conversations where the idea, like I've, been, I've been told that you can't really do meaningful stuff. You can't really do the work that you want to do until you know it. And there is one it. And there have been a lot of books written that suggest that. And there's a huge part of the self-help world that suggests that too. I'm, I'm, I actually don't believe that. My sense is, I mean, this is my approach. I'm curious what you think and whether it, this is, well, my sense is it's much more about, there, there may be a thousand it's, but it's more about like, can I wake up today and feel like whatever it is that I'm doing, however I'm investing my energy, there's a sense of purpose. Not as my life purpose, not as the purpose, but just I'm doing it with the sense of purpose, a sense of passion, a sense yes. of meaning with whatever it is. Yes. And that that's, for me, that's the thing, like the ability to do more things with a deeper sense of purpose and meaning. That's one of the things that helps me sort of like hit reset after the speed mm -hmm. bumps. Mm -hmm. So you and I are completely in line on that. Yeah. I think we we have probably sold a lot of tapes and a lot of books by saying there is a purpose. Read this book and I will walk you right to it. You're going to love yourself and it afterwards. And then people read that book or they get that tape and they realize, well, I'm, I'm still hollow. Mm. I didn't figure it out. Y your solution's right on. It is doing everything. So, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. refers to if you sweep the streets, sweep it like Picasso painted, man. Do it, do it like it's the most important work on the earth because it is right now. And I think if you're at home right now sweeping up Cheerios, sweep them up beautifully. Do it with a big old smile on your face and realize one day those Cheerios aren't going to be there because the kids are moving on. If you are interning and you're serving coffee, be the best doggone coffee server that that office firm ever saw because it's going to allow them to see a, a higher calling in you and you're going to see it in yourselves. And the more we can treat every experience and every interaction and every job like it is sacred, the more we'll realize the mission's not out there, it's right now. I, th I think we get too caught looking forward or looking backward and the miracles in the moment, always. That's where the power is. That's where the why is right now. Yeah, so I agree. I think we, uh, we get very caught up in becoming and we sometimes miss the grace in being along the way. I right. think both are important. So when you, as, as we sit and talk now, you're an author now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. You spent a huge amount of time, I guess, traveling and speaking. But before we got on there, you were kind of sharing that you're starting to look forward and maybe doing a bit of a reset too, sort of like a values check, it sounded yeah. like. Can, can you share a little bit? Yeah. So if you're not careful, you can achieve exactly what you hoped for. Mm. <laughs> and so my, my hope, my intention was to become a motivational speaker, to become an inspirational speaker, which in time became a reality. We went from, and by the way, your listeners might be hearing, John uses the word we a lot. And I do that accidentally, but I think it's just me knowing I can't do almost anything by myself entirely. We means my awesome bride and my four babies. We means my mom and dad who are still alive and are still amazing people. We, I have a team of five. I can't do what I do on the road without those incredible people. So the, the we dreamed of becoming a speaker eight talks in the first two years. Then I had about 16 in year three, and then it was off to the races, 80 in year four, 112 in year five, 172 oh my God. in year six. 
And then I realized, oh my gosh, the very thing that I wanted to share, I'm going to lose. My marriage, my babies, myself, sanity, all these things that, that kind of make me special. Like I, I love living in the moment and you can't really live well in the moment if you got to catch the next flight out of Dodge. And so we, I have been working hard over the last few years to really refocus, say yes to the right opportunities, which does not necessarily mean bigger paycheck or bigger auditorium. Uh, it means saying yes to people that I believe have a mission heart and have the ability to influence others afterwards. And so we say yes today about 115 times, uh, which means I'm on the road about 100 nights each year, but it means I'm home, fully at home, 260 nights or so a year. I think a lot of us get mixed up on balance. We, we try to judge these things and say, gosh, I feel out of balance and I'm never out of balance. I think when I'm at work, I'm at work. My phone's off right now when you and I are looking at each other talking, but when I'm at home, even Jonathan can't find me. I'm fully at home. The phone is off. I'm engaged with my kids. And I think it's really important that don't strive for balance. Strive to be present where you are. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful takeaway. Today, I uh, have the honor of being a published author from Simon & Schuster. We wrote a book that was rolled out into the marketplace on March 15th. It's called On Fire. It's awesome. They wanted to put a picture of me on the front of it. When your listeners actually look at the title, that they'll say, gosh, John's picture's nowhere on it. Because the book is really not about me. It's about the men and women, the kids, the people who showed up, what they did, the lessons they taught, and how we can apply them in our own lives today. How we can become better versions of ourselves and how we can stop accidentally living. And so I'm really excited about the book. I think it's going to touch positively an awful lot of lives. And then eventually, I look forward to uh, growing up and becoming... Uh, more of a podcaster and a community mm-hmm. seater. I think this is a really cool way to share lives, to sh- interact with one other person, to do it in community with a whole lot of other people paying attention, and then to ignite them to do great things in their lives. Mm. Agreed. Don't have to convince me on that yeah, side. It works. It's coming full circle here. Uh, namely, this is a good life project. So if I offer out that term to live a good life, what comes up? What are the pieces of that puzzle? If you could explore them. There is a big synagogue right across from where we're recording. I actually took a picture of it. Uh, On the top of it, there's a simple line. It said, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And so I was walking to your studio, got lost 11 different times. Uh, Siri only does so great. But the beauty of being lost is sometimes you find things even better than what you were looking for. So I looked up, I'm trying to find an address. I see this massive, gorgeous, I'm sure you know the building. I do building. And then on the top of it is are those letters. So I took a couple pictures, catch my breath, and then I, I find your studio. And then you ask me that question. And if I'm honest about it, if I, if I can seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God every day, I think I will be an awesome dad. I think I'm going to be the best doggone husband of all time. I think I'll be a great son to my parents who'd need me to show up. I'll be a pretty strong sibling. I'll be wonderful in the community. I'll be sweet to TSA. I'll be kind in Starbucks lot drive throughs It's going to change the way I show up if I can be bold enough to seek that happiness in justice, mercy, and God. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We love sharing real, unscripted conversations and ideas that matter. And if you enjoy that too, and if you enjoy what we're up to, I'd be so grateful if you would take just a few seconds and rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get the word out. You can actually do that now right from the podcast app 
on your phone if you have an iPhone. You just click on the reviews tab and take a few seconds and jam over there. And if you haven't yet subscribed while you're there, then make sure you hit the subscribe button while you're at it. And then you'll be sure to never miss out on any of our incredible guests or conversations or riffs. And for those of you, our awesome community who are on other platforms, any love that you might be able to offer sharing our message would just be so appreciated. Until next time, this is Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project. Thank you.